Happy Friday, everybody, and it's the fifth uh, podcast in our series on how to survive and prosper through the COVID-19 crisis. I'm Mark Lowry from Riyabu, and joining me once again is Simon Littlewood. Simon, uh, we talked uh, on Monday about planning to survive. Tuesday, how to retain or regain your customer confidence. On Wednesday, you took us through how to deal with suppliers, because after all, they also want to survive. And yesterday, we uh, had a fairly lengthy conversation and somewhat amusing, I have to say, a conversation about scaling operating costs. Uh, but today, you're going to tackle something somewhat different. It's all about communication. Yes, I call this don't be shy, uh, because communicating clearly, frequently and appropriately with team and other stakeholders is absolutely critical once you've got your plan. But uh, isn't that obvious? Yes, you'd think it would be. But... The problem with this is that having been through a few of these, I would say that many companies prevaricate, take their time figuring out what they should be doing, hoping that things will turn out for the best. As a result, they don't necessarily come up with a detailed plan. And then they're a little bit reticent about communicating it to people because there are messages that are uncomfortable for many people. For example, we've talked about changing the terms on which you do business with those suppliers and customers. These are tricky negotiations to have, although we've suggested ways that you can make them profitable, you can make them congenial. The hardest conversation of all to have is with people that you value and care about and have worked with for a long time, but nonetheless need to let go or to put on furlough or somehow to change in terms of their relationship. Um, and companies are reluctant to have that. Uh, well, sometimes... Yeah. Sometimes it's also difficult to, to communicate because the things change so fast. What you said yesterday might already be outdated today. So I guess there's also a tendency to just wait and see, right? Yes. Uh, that tendency will bleed you dry. It'll have two effects. One will be that all the money will go out of the company because every company at the moment, pretty much with very few exceptions, is seeing a massive collapse in revenue, not just in Singapore, but all over the world. And because of that collapse in revenue, you're accumulating losses, you're running out of cash. If you delay, things are only going to get worse. By acting now to stem the bleeding, you give yourself more options in the future. By acting now to reduce costs and taking the steps that you need to take, you can, you can scale things back so that you've got a small team, smaller team, and you can then start to rebuild confidence with that team so that you're ready to come out of the crisis with renewed vigor and renewed capability. Yeah. Okay, but that's been the, the running theme for, for the whole week. And I suppose given what the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, has said about, uh, you know, heading for the worst re uh, depression since the Great Depression of the 1930s, um, I, I guess everything that you've said is true. But how do you solve that fact about falling revenues, for example, with communication? Well, uh, it's what you do to deal with the falling revenues. So first of all, you need to make the decisions that we've advocated in the first four podcasts which are to do with cutting costs and changing relationships. And secondly, you need to quickly communicate what you need to communicate in an honest way. The reason that communication is important is, first of all, you need to communicate with your people clearly about what's going to happen so that the people that remain remain committed to the organization because they see that you have a plan. Secondly, you need to communicate it to suppliers and customers because they're not going to do they're not going to invest in making changes to the way that they do business with you in the interest of their own survival if they don't think you're going to make it. So that communication, that communication that you have a plan, that you're confident that you've planned for the worst and that you know how you're going to get through is tremendously important because it will differentiate you from 
other companies that your suppliers are dealing with. It will differentiate you from other suppliers to your customers because most people have no clue what to do and they're in a mess. So you need to be decisive. Uh, yeah. Okay, and in terms of communication, of course, uh, I, I suppose intrinsically we all understand it in principle. But what do you then actually say, given, so, like so, I was saying earlier, that uh, you know what you say today might already be outdated tomorrow? So the accent is on the future. So whether you're talking to your people, to your suppliers, or to your customers, the accent is on things that we need to do now, which are tough, but the fact that we foresee a future of increasing growth, increasing prosperity. And in order to, for example, with your people, once you've scaled back to an appropriate level, you need to show them their future with specifics. That means for individuals, you need to show that you've thought about what their role will be in the business of the future. And that might well involve slightly different customer focus, slightly different product focus, promotion, because you've let people go and so on and so forth. So the idea is that you shift from making quick decisions about shedding costs to taking what your core team has now become and giving them investment, uh, encouragement, a vision for what the future is going to be. Um, thirdly, because, and this is very important, because we're all at home, uh, and this is now lockdown's the case, it's in the case in Europe, in America, in much of Asia, um, we need to leverage virtual tools for sharing and collaboration. Because we have to overcome that additional challenge of having to communicate difficult messages without being able to be in the same room as people, we need to master virtual communication very quickly in a way that we've never done before. Most people are used to conference calls. Most people have used Skype. Some people have occasionally used telepresence, which is extremely expensive. But the extent of the use of things like Zoom now is unprecedented. And you need to quickly get up to speed with those virtual tools and get your distributed team used to collaborating on a regular basis using Zoom. And that may require that you have once or twice a day touch points with key members of your team to build this positive culture. Yes, so. which is in fact exactly what we're doing at Riabu with uh, calls at 8 a.m. and uh, 4.30 p.m. Um, can't say that everybody enjoys it at all times, but I, I guess it's that frequency. And it's also two ways, isn't it, Simon? It's not just uh, well, sending edicts from, uh, from the CEO's desk sort of thing. Well, you have a very smart and vibrant team, Mark, you know, here at Riabu that are doing a, a, a range of different things. And as a member of that team, several, there have been several benefits from having these calls twice a day. One of them is that I think other people are understanding what I'm doing a bit better. Uh, but most of all, for me, I'm understanding what other members of the team are doing in a level of detail that I've never done before, uh, which is a team building exercise. And it's, it's, isn't it paradoxical that we sit in an office for months and months and months, get on with what we're doing, we do well, and yet it's only when we come onto a single call twice a day and have to share in detail what we're doing, what we plan to do, what, how successful we've been, that we start to build a real understanding of what it is that we're doing. And that's what <laughs> I'm, and that, isn't that a paradox? And that's what I'm looking for here. I'm looking for engagement and feedback so that we build a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed culture of success. And that has, yes. to, be, has to be based on a team that you know you're going to keep. You can't do that. If you're saying, well, look, it's all looking a bit worrying, but let's pretend there's nothing wrong and we'll, and we'll start doing virtual calls and then progressively having to reduce costs more and more and more as the months go by. That, in my experience, is the commonest model. Commun sorry, the commonest model for dealing with the situation. <laughs> and it is, to it is totally debilitating for a company because nobody knows where they stand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, funny you should say that because yeah. uh, just uh, you know, leaping in on that, uh, already I'm thinking about how do we continue these calls 
once everything is back to normal. I mean, presumably, you know, at some point in the next year, things are going to go back to normal. We are going to be back in the office together. Well, and well, and then you you start to think, well, maybe we should continue to have meetings instead of calls in well, the same way. Certainly, I think that many people, particularly older people like me, are discovering that virtual communication, that, that things like Zoom have a much greater application than they first believed were possible. Uh, and therefore, you're going to see a significant reduction in travel and you're not going to see a complete return to the way things were before. But to answer your question of do we continue to discuss twice a day and how do we develop that? Well, we've already got part of the because the next item I've got on here is build skills, which is invest in training and team building. Show that you're planning for the future. So if you've got down to your core team, the team that you know you're going to keep, you've got your call twice a day, you're sharing what it is you need to do, you're building a sense of purpose. What, what's the other thing that you can do? Well, you can showcase the individual skills of your individual team members and have them once a week, take it in turns to do, you know, a 30 minute or a one hour or whatever it is, sharing with the rest of the team on an area that they're particularly competent in and build some additional skills across the team. Mark, you've already started to do this. I think it's something that's really had value and I think it's something that every business should do in this situation, yeah. Well, that's very kind, Simon. However, uh, spinning this out to everybody else listening to us, then uh, the question is, you know, at a time when uh, you furloughed some people, do you then bring them back into the call? Uh, is, is that a is that engagement uh, part of that team building that you talked about? Uh, well, you might bring in, usually if you furlough people, uh, and it depends on the situation, I've been furloughed in the past, the basis of my furlough was a much reduced salary, but on the basis that a certain number of days a month was still owed to my employer, so that I could be called in, for example, to participate in a conference call with a client, or I could even be called in to give some specific training in an area in which I was particularly competent. So if you do use furlough or or having a retention model where people aren't actually working full time as a way forward and i you know i'm 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 agnostic on whether that's a good thing or not my instinct is is to separate from people that you think you're not going to keep but if you have a very large organization and you're not clear what your resource demands are going to be in the future a certain degree of flexibility makes sense but by having people investing in training and team building you're you're showing them that you're planning for the future because one of the things that you're going to be doing in that training is is scenarios you're going to be looking at scenarios for what's going to happen at the end of this and how we're building new products new ways of getting to market new ways of communication so that we can be fitter and leaner and more effective when that happens. Uh, it's forward looking, it's not backward looking. Really the whole point of this, and, and it's interesting because the, because the Singapore government you know, uses this, this wonderful term for, uh, for, this, for this lockdown, uh, which is what, remind me? Circuit breaker. Circuit breaker, that's exactly right. So the circuit breaker for me occurs after you've taken out the costs. At that point, you've stopped, you've thought, you've taken out the costs, you're leaner, you're fitter, and you're very focused on surviving and moving through. At that point, you're starting to build skills and morale again. The final item, and this is, I, I, in many ways, I think I've, I've gone on about this rather a lot because it's so important. Resist the urge, the very human urge, to be nice rather than truthful. Okay. Uh, it, it, we talk about white lies. We talk about, you know, sparing people's feelings. Well, this is not a time in business to be doing that. We need to figure out what's going on and be totally honest and tell people the truth. Apart from anything else, if you sugarcoat it very, very quickly, no one's going to believe what you're saying, uh, firstly. And secondly, it has the most colossally negative impact on morale if what you say turns out not to be true. And 
the most egregious examples of that most recently have been very large household names who've made all sorts of promises about they're going to keep people, they're going to invest in people, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. And then as soon as there's a sign of trouble, they take very aggressive steps uh, to shed staff, to close offices, to do all these things. Uh, so it's much better if you tell the truth, yeah, with courage. So, Simon, just uh, wrapping up then uh, and coming back to Engage, uh, you might have seen a story uh, earlier this week which talked about Activision Blizzard's chief executive, Bobby Kotick, giving all of his employees his personal mobile phone number, 10,000 of them. Is that something that you'd recommend? Well, we did talk about this briefly. You see, I think we live in a world, unfortunately, where to demonstrate your sensibility in a very public way is perceived as having a virtue all of its own. I would call that virtue signaling because there's no possible way in which he can have effective communication with 10,000 people. He's saying, look how wonderful I am. I really care about you. Here's my phone number. It's totally impractical. A real process of communication figures out what different people in your organization need to be told, and it structures it in an effective way using multiple channels of communication and planning messaging over time. Um, you do a stakeholder analysis, you build the messaging around different stakeholders, and you keep it up, and you back it up with the training, with the calls, and so on and so forth. You know? um, and by the way, you know, we, have, we have templates for doing that. I'm happy to share them with anyone that's interested. Um, good. Okay. Well, um, if you do have questions or comments on these uh, steps, please, uh, once again, drop us a note. You can email us at service at riabu.com. Of course, you can also visit our website, riabu.com, where you'll find more tips and things that you can do in order to be sure that you survive and prosper during the COVID-19 times. And while we have covered so far this week, planning to survive, building and retaining customer confidence, looking after your suppliers, not just your customers, as well as scaling operating costs and communications. Simon, we're going to continue next week with what to do after the COVID-19 issue has solved. Yeah, well, and, and to some extent, you can do it even during the COVID-19 issue, because what's happened is you've reset. You know, you've had this moment where you've scaled, rescaled your organization to cope with a significant change in economic activity, but you've pointed towards the future because you've now got the team that you want to move forward. You've got the cost structure that you need to survive the crisis. So what do you do in addition to ensure that you're one of those companies? Remember, we said the minority of companies come out of crises with additional market share, with additional agility, and with the ability to grow faster than others. Well, if you want to make sure that you're one of them, there are five more things that you need to do. We're going to cover these in podcasts starting at the beginning of next week. Each one has a lot of learning and a lot of detail behind it. Um, but um, if I may, I'll lay, lay out the first couple of those, Mark. Yeah. So, uh, you may. Yes, please uh, proceed. Okay. So, so the first one is to have specific post-crisis growth objectives. Remember, I talked about the importance of communicating with your team and creating a forward-looking atmosphere. Well, in order to do that, you have to have specific post-crisis growth objectives. They are likely to include targeting acquisitions and taking market share from your competitors. And some of the activities we talked about in the first five things, which include getting to know your customer base much better, deciding the top 20% of your customers using Pareto principles who are going to deliver 80% of your future economic profit, profit sorry, now and post-crisis. And by getting closer to them and by understanding where your competition are in difficulties. And remember, we said that the way to find that out is to use your commercial team, to use knowledge within the industry. And in a situation of crisis, people will share 
typically much more than they will do normally, to take market share from your competition. Line, line up your customers who are getting a shaky performance from their suppliers, your competitors, and progressively and selectively figure out which ones you can go after and win. Oh, my God. All of that sounds way too good to be true, Simon. <laughs> All of that sounds like a world away, actually, compared to well, what we currently do. Well, the reason it sounds like a world away is because people have let themselves get into a mentality where, oh, dear, it's all terribly bad. Let's just hunker down and wait and see. Well, okay. Let everyone else hunker down and wait and see. You, 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 do, 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 do your thinking. Figure out where you can get market share. Figure out maybe who you can buy. You have competitors who are in deep trouble because they haven't been prudent like you in terms of husbanding their cash, in terms of renegotiating their supply relationships, in terms of getting close to their customers. Maybe you can take them over and you've got cash to do it. Yep. All right. Looking forward to next week. Thank you very much, Simon Littlewood.